I think that that's such an interesting concept. Um, if your story, if your life story was a book, and somebody at the end of your life gets a chance to read the book of your life, like what's the story that it's going to tell? What are the things that your life is going to tell? I think it's an interesting uh, question to ask. Um, it's an interesting concept. Um, as we've been, if you're involved in a community group at the well, we've been going through um, what is called the 210 Project. It's a book as we've been talking about, like, how do we know what God wants from us? How has he prepared us to do the things that he wants from us? And as we've been going through that, there's one particular verse that we've been looking at um, almost every week. Uh, and I think that it's a really interesting thing. And before we get to the verse, it reminds me that um, if you brought your phone with you, you can pull out your phone. Um, and you can go, if you have the Version app, you can uh, follow along with, uh, if you search in the live tab uh, that will be on the side, you can search the Well Austin and find the notes for today. Or if you don't have that, you can just type in this link um, and it will take you uh, to a page that has the notes. There's some questions for you to answer and you can follow along that way. So make sure that you follow along for that. Um, some great questions for you to, to ask and follow along. The verse that we've kind of been looking at as we've gone through the 2.10 project, where it come, the, the title of the book comes from Ephesians 2.10. And I wanted to just read it for us. I mean, if you've been involved in a community group, you're probably getting frustrated because you've looked at it a lot. And you think, well, I already know that verse. But this is what it says, just in case you're not involved in a community group. And if you are, you probably forgot. So here's what it says. It says, for we, you and me, are his workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus Four good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God creates in advance for us these things that he wants us to participate in. And I think that as we begin to discover who we are, how we're gifted, how we're wired, and then maybe even an additional question is like, what's our calling? What is God calling us to do? Um, what is God calling us to stand for, to be about? And as we answer some of those questions, it helps gain us clarity so that we know what kinds of things to do and not to do, where to go and where not to go, what to say and what not to say. And so that's really important. What's interesting, and we're going to put this up on the screen, and you can uh, jot it down if you want to. I think it's, it's somewhat profound, but I think it's incredibly accurate and true. Everyone ends up somewhere, but few people end up somewhere on purpose. Everyone ends up somewhere, but very few people in life end up somewhere on purpose. Because if you're not careful, what happens is you wake up one day, and you're 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, and you ask yourself what happened. Like, I, I feel like I'm 17, at least mentally, but maybe not physically. But what happened? I don't know what happened. I got to this place. How did I get here? And what I want to walk you through today is something that's very practical, yet challenging. I'm gonna, you're either going to love me today or hate me, and you're probably going to end up hating me. But the idea is, what questions can you ask yourself so that you don't wake up one day and not like the story that your life is telling or has told? Because when we get clarity, I think we become unstoppable. Because when we are actually living out the way that God has created us to be and to do, 
we're unstoppable. And so we're going to do that. And so the question then becomes like, how many of you in your life, you would say, you know what, one of the things, one of the goals that I want to have for my life is I would just like to be, uh, have some financial freedom. I don't want to be bound by debt. This is something that I want in my life. Um, you don't necessarily have to raise your hand and say that's what I want, but just think about that. Wouldn't it be great that if you're not bound by somebody else, like you have the freedom to give and support people, you have the freedom to do what you want to do, so financial freedom is something that maybe we desire to have. What about this? Like we have this desire to be maybe in great physical shape. Like we would, we would like to be invited to a pool party and like to actually go, <laughs> right? And so what would it look like for us to say, I'm going to honor this body that God has given me, this temple, and I'm going to treat it properly. And so what does that look like? Or what does it look like for you to, to desire to have a, a thriving Christian marriage, I mean, there's several things. What does it look like for you to say, you know what, I want to I start a business. What does that look like? And I think that as you ask these questions, we're going to walk through some principles today that I think that will help us a lot. There's uh, an interesting verse in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, and we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about it today, but there's one particular word in there that I want us to look at. The verse simply says this, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. Or the people perish. And that particular word vision right there, the Hebrew word for the word vision is kazon. So can we just say that out loud because it kind of sounds like we have something in our throat. Kazon. Okay. And so if you sneeze today, you can just say kazon and everybody will be cool with that. Um, but that's what the, the actual Hebrew word is kazon. And it simply means a dream or a revelation. And that particular verse says, where there is no vision, where there is no dream, where there is no revelation, we just kind of wander around. And so what does it look like to have something from God, a vision, a dream, a calling from God? In my particular community group, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, we asked a simple question. And it was one of the most fascinating conversations that we've had. And the question was simply this. What if I had the ability to take care of all of your, your physical needs for the rest of your life? So I'm going to provide you with a, a house to live and clothes to wear and a car to drive and food to eat. So you, have not, you, don't, you need nothing. And on top of that, I'm going to give you $10 million. What are you going to do with this $10 million? And it was a fascinating conversation to have as we started talking about if money was no object, what would I do with my life? If money wasn't an object, what would I do with my life? And here's, we have to be careful because if we're not strategic about that question, what happens is we start saying things like, well, I'd buy a boat. I would go on vacation. And we start thinking about those things, but those are not actually the things that I'm talking about. I'm talking about if you could write a book about the life that you're living, and somebody reads the book at the end of your life, and it says, this is what this person stood for, this is what they did, this is what they're calling, this is what they accomplished, what would that be like? And we had all kinds of interesting conversations as that went about, and it was like uh, to develop a cultural center where people could come and, and begin to learn different languages. It was to create a home where children could come that don't have maybe families or parents. They could learn about music, and they could have a place where they belong. I mean, there was about how could I start a nonprofit that would benefit maybe a specific cause in the world. I mean, it was an incredible conversation as we started talking about what could we do with our life when we discover who God is and what he wants us to do.
And I think that's the question that we're going to talk about today as we go through this. And I want to show you that I think that there are, oh, I forgot to tell you that the majority of stuff that we're talking about today, like if you're the kind of person that wants to go home with extra homework, um, the majority of the things that I'm talking about today come from a book titled Kazone. Okay, so if you're interested in doing some reading and you like that sort of thing, you could buy the book and you could read some more about it. This is the ma- where the majority of this stuff comes from. But there are four stages that we go through in our life as we're living out our kazone, as we're living out God's calling in our life. There's four stages. These stages you can see in, in tons of biblical characters as you read about them, and we're going to look at two of them today. And some of you are thinking, we're going to look at two of them today. We're going to be here a long time. No, we're going to run through it quickly. But we're going to look at two of them. One of them is Paul in Acts chapter 20. So what's going on here? Here's the backstory. Paul's in Ephesus. He's, he's starting a church. He's loving the people. Things are, are going relatively well. He's living out his calling, and things are going great. But then he has this aha moment with God. And God asks him to kind of step out of his comfort zone. And to do something different. And that's where we'll pick up the story. So he's having, so basically what's happening is he calls in the elders of the church and he's having this conversation with them about what God is prompting him to do. And that's where we pick up the story, Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 22. And it says, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. So basically he says, I'm about to leave you. Like, I, I got to go do something else. Yes, things here are great. I love you, and it's going well, but I'm leaving. I'm going to do something else. I'm going to Jerusalem. And then it says, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So he calls them together and says, I'm about to go, i got to go somewhere else. This is something that God has called me to do, and this is what I'm going to do. So we're going to break this down and look at it quickly um, at the four particular stages. The first stage is the Spirit's prompting. The Spirit's prompting. And, and in verse 22, it simply says, and he's having this conversation, and he says, And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem contra- constrained by the Spirit. And that particular phrase right there, constrained by the Spirit, comes from basically two specific uh, phrases or words. Duo, pneuma, deo, pneuma, basically means deo, compelled, bound, wrapped up, constrained. So that's what that particular word means. And then pneuma simply means spirit, current of air, breeze of the spirit. So basically what he's saying right there is he says, and now I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the spirit. He's saying, I'm wrapped up. I'm being drugged. I'm being compelled. I have to go because the spirit of God is leading me there. That's what he's saying. Okay? Um, And the best physical example that I can think of that is, I don't know if you've ever been in the afternoon, you've had a busy morning, you were so busy that you didn't even have time to eat lunch, and you're walking from one meeting to another, and as you're walking, all of a sudden, you realize that somewhere near you, someone is smoking some barbecue. And like you, you smell it. And it sort of like begins to wrap you up, and it feels really nice. And you don't have a choice, you just start following it. And you're just going because you're like, I'm hungry and I've got to eat and i got to go get some of that. Maybe it's a weak example, but it was the only one that I could come up with. 
Basically, that's the idea or the concept that, that the Spirit of God is compelling him. He doesn't have a choice. He has to go. And so as you start talking about what does it look like for God to call you to do something, the first thing is the Spirit's prompting. Like it's going to be something that maybe you didn't even think about. It's going to be something that maybe you saw earlier and you forgot about. But as God begins to prompt you, that's the very first thing is the Spirit's prompting. I remember for me personally, it, it began to happen for me in a weird way. So I started doing ministry at an early age. Um, but in 1998, and I can remember the very moment, and I won't bore you with all the details of the very moment. If you want to know, I can tell you later. But I remember the very moment in 1998, I was sitting in a room. I was supposed to be involved in a meeting, and something happened in this meeting. And I didn't hear anything else that happened in the meeting, but I was being compelled by the Spirit to do something. And it set me out on a journey that started in 1998 to figure out how can I creatively communicate the truths of God in a way that help people who are far from God hear them plainly and clearly. 1998 is when it started for me. And I can remember all sorts of weird details about the day, but the Spirit started compelling me, and I didn't have a choice. Like, it was not an option. I had to find a way to do this. And so the first step, I think, is simply that, is to simply uh, the Spirit's prompting. The second one is certain uncertainty. And some of you are already moaning and groaning because you don't like this one. But as we look at biblical characters, this is absolutely evident in many of their lives. Certain uncertainty. In verse 22, Paul is talking and he simply says, And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, contrained by, contrained, why do I keep saying that? Constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Like he didn't have all the answers. He didn't know specifically what he was going to do when he got there. He just knew that the Spirit of God was compelling him to go and they had to go. And when God starts calling you to do something, you know what you and I want? We want the 10-step plan. Like we want to know what is, what is step 10? What is it going to look like? And God sometimes simply says, I don't know, but you got to take step one before you can get to step two. And we want all of the plans. We want to know what it looks like. And Paul simply says, I don't know what's going to happen when I get there. But this is what God is telling me to do. I don't know what it looks like. And for some of you, maybe it's simply, and I'm not saying that this is your calling. I'm not saying that this is the spirit of God. I'm just giving you an example. But for some of you, maybe it's you leave your secure job because God is calling you to start a business. For some of you, maybe it's you get up the nerve to actually ask her out. Like, I don't know what it is, but when you get this calling from God, there's going to be this uncertain feeling, and you're not really sure exactly what happens. But we want the, the details. We want the guaranteed plan. Like, if you do these ten things, it's going to work out. And it doesn't always work out the way that we think that it will. God has incredible plans for your life, but we don't always see it clearly, and we don't always respond appropriately. But we do know that Scripture tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so the Spirit's prompting and the certain uncertainty. And then what's also interesting is the power of the next step. Um, so in this uncertain moment, like we get terrified and we get paralyzed and we don't even want to take the next step. But there's something that can be said for the power of the next step. So let's just say that maybe God is calling you to write a book. And in your mind, you think the next step is you just need to sign on with a publisher. But in reality, the next step is maybe you should just interview somebody else who's written a book before. Like, that would be a great next step. 
Like in your mind, you think that you got to have the cover art already done. But the reality is you just need to talk to somebody who's already done it before. What's the next step? And so if you think that God is calling you to do something and you're uncertain, don't worry about what the end result is. Worry about the next step, those, those baby steps. You know that movie, What About Bob? You know, and I know some of you haven't seen it because it's an old movie, and some of you haven't seen it because you hate him, uh, Bill Murray, and you don't want to watch him because you think that he's dumb. But it's a great movie, and he's having trouble in life. And basically what he learns is he's just got to take baby steps. And he has the goldfish around his neck, and he's just taking baby steps, baby steps, baby steps. Silly movie concept is true in your life. Don't worry about the end result. Worry about the next step. I have something. I can't remember if I put this on the screen or if not. Or not. If I didn't, you need to write it down because I think it's really good. I will do today what I can do to enable me to do tomorrow what I can't do today. Like we could pretty much pray and go home after that because that's good stuff right there. Oh, I didn't have it up there. I will do today what I can do to enable me to do tomorrow what I can't do today. We get so paralyzed about tomorrow that we don't even take the next steps for today. And as we look at Paul's story there, he simply just says, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know I'm supposed to go. Um, The third stage is predictable resistance. And you won't really like this one either. Predictable resistances, so as we continue reading in Paul's uh, story here, not knowing what will happen to me there except, like he's aware that something's, he knows something, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. He's like, I'm going, I don't know what's going to happen when I get there other than I'm probably going to get beat up. I mean, how fun is that? But when you start looking at biblical examples of other people, and we're going to look at one more, by the way, predictable resistance happens. And this is true in your life and in my life. When we get a calling from God, even though we're a little bit uncertain what the end result is going to be, but we start taking the next steps, you know what happens? Resistance. You know why that happens? It's because Satan doesn't want you to take those next steps. So you become afraid. You don't know what to do, and so you try to skip steps. You don't want to know what to do, so you don't do anything. Or maybe people start doubting you and say, you know what, you can't write that book. You can't even read. How are you going to write that book? Like people, people say stuff to you and you start doubting. And Paul says, I know that there's going to be bad times. I know things are, are going to happen and it's not always going to be fun. But when you start pursuing your calling, so the spirit is pulling you along, is compelling you, you have to go. You're not really sure exactly what's going to happen when you get there. You don't know what it's going to look like, but you do know that you're going to face resistance because Paul did. But if you power through those first three stages, you know what happens. You get to stage four, and this is, when you get to this point, you're, you're like, it doesn't get any better than this. And it makes up for all of the other crappy stuff that you've been through, uncommon clarity. Uncommon clarity. Look what this says in verse 24. So Paul's still having this conversation, but he says, but I do not account my life of any value. So he's like, I'm compelled, I'm called, I've got to leave here and go over there, and I don't even really care what happens to my life because I've got to go do this. Have you ever had such clarity that that happened to you? 
where the first thing that you, when you wake up, you think about this, and the last thing that you, go, that you think about before you go to sleep is you think about this. And it doesn't matter what anybody says to you. It doesn't matter what anybody does to you. This is your calling, and you know that God has called you to do it, and you don't matter. it doesn't matter what resistance you face, you're going to do it. Have you ever had that? Wouldn't it be great to have that? Wouldn't it be nice to know that this is specifically what you're supposed to do, and it doesn't matter? You just keep taking the next step, taking the next step. Look what he says. I don't account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry. So he basically says, I just need to complete the task that God's put before me. So I don't know what your task is that God has put before you. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it's you're supposed to learn a new language so that you can communicate with somebody that you know. Like, I don't know what that task is, but he says, he says, I don't care. I just want to complete the task that God has given me. And then he goes on to kind of say what that is. That I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So my suggestion for you is to begin to figure out, what does it look like for you to write down your kazone? What does it look like for you to begin to write down what is God calling you to do? And then you begin to write down some next steps. What are some of the next steps that I need to take? And then you begin to think through, I know resistance is going to come. Am I prepared for it? But then you get through those things and you start getting some clarity. And when you get this uncommon clarity, it doesn't matter about all the other stuff. There's tons of stories, and we could talk about many of them. I'm going to take a a quick look. I'm just going to tell you about it. You can go read it. If you want to go read in the book of Nehemiah, super interesting story. He walks through these four stages. It happens to him. So if you don't believe me, I'm going to give you some background quickly. I'm just going to tell you about the story and not read it to you, but go read it. He goes through these four stages. So basically what happens is, Nehemiah, he's just a dude like you. Like he's a government, like he's working in the government. He's an official. He's just like a normal guy. He's not a preacher guy. He's not a pastor guy. He's not on staff at a church. He doesn't do any of those churchy kinds of things that you think that super spiritual people do. He's just a normal guy doing his job. And he finds out that the wall in Jerusalem has been destroyed. And he starts to get bothered by it. And he's moved and compelled by it. And kind of in the beginning as he's going through it, I think part of his his thought process is, you know what, somebody needs to fix that. Somebody needs to do something about that. But the Spirit of God begins to compel him, to wrap him up and say, that somebody is you. And so the Spirit of God is compelling him to fix the wall. Well, he doesn't even live there. He doesn't even know how to do that. He doesn't even know what his next step is. And so basically he's like, well, I'm just going to go talk to the king and see if he'll give me permission to go and do it. So basically he goes and he talks to the king and he gets permission. Not only does he get permission, he didn't know how he was going to build the wall. He didn't know what it was going to look like. He gets permission to do it. And the king actually gives him the resources to go and do it. And, and you know what happens next? What's the next step? Well, okay, we talked about it. What's the next step? Resistance. He begins to face resistance. People are telling him, this is the dumbest idea that I've ever heard. You can't do this. You cannot build this wall back. It's not going to happen. So he comes up with a plan, and he divides people into groups, and different groups or different families start working on different segments of the wall, and they start to build it up. Enemies start hearing about it, and they put together armies to come and say, hey, we're not going to let you do this. This is not going to happen. So then he divides them into to two different groups of you're going to work and then you're going to be ready for battle. And so they're always prepared. 
And so different people come and they're, they're giving them some resistance and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And then one of the interesting things that happens is one of the guys says, well, it's probably not smart for me to go into battle with you, but let me see if I can just delay you. Let me see if I can have a conversation with you. So he sends some, some people to go, and he asks, tell Nehemiah, hey, let's get together and have like, I don't, they didn't call it this, but this is just the way that my brain works. They get together and says, hey, let's have a summit. You know what? Basically that means like government officials get together and don't really accomplish anything, but they have a long meeting. That's what they, that's what they, that's what they were saying. Okay, so I apologize if that's you. I didn't mean anything by that. But so they, he sent some representatives to go tell Nehemiah, hey, let's have this conference and we're going to talk about stuff. And their goal was to delay him. Their goal was to provide him with some resistance. That was his goal. And you want to talk about uncommon clarity? So remember, Nehemiah has been going through these steps. And he gets uncommon clarity because he knows his responsibility is because he was made uncomfortable that the wall had, been, had, had become ruined And he's doing what God has called him to do. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3. And they're asking him to go have a summit, to have a meeting. And I sent messengers to them saying, and I don't want you to miss this. This is so incredibly powerful. If you only hear one thing today about what does it mean for you to have a calling from God, look at this. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. He faced resistance. He didn't know what his next steps were, but God had called him to do it. And now people are trying to say, let's just have a meeting and talk about it. And he says, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down from here. What are you talking about? Why should the work stop while I leave and come down to you? He had so much clarity that no one was going to stop him, not even for a stupid little meeting. Because it's what God called him to do. And so then that brings the question back that we talked about earlier. If money was no object, what would you do with your life? If money was no object, and, and so maybe you say, well, why are you saying that? Because money is an object. I, I get that. But I don't want you to make your decisions solely based upon money. I want you to make your decisions based upon, because God wraps you up in his spirit and says, this is what you have to do and you say, okay, I don't have a choice. I smell you, God. You're, you're leading me there. I don't know what the end result is, but I'm going to take the next step. Because you know what? Taking the next step is uncomfortable. And here's my suspicion. My suspicion is simply this, that at this very moment, God is pressing in upon some of you, asking you to do something. And it makes you incredibly uncomfortable. Because you're going to leave your comfort zone and you're going to have resistance in your life because you're doing what God called you to do. But when you press through those things, you get to this place where it's uncommon clarity and you get to the end of your life and you say, you know what, I did what God asked me to do. And my story is a story of God's great victory in somebody's life when they do what God asked them to do. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. And here's my prayer for us. God, I pray that you would disturb us. I pray that you would help us to see things the way that you see things 
And God, I pray that as you give us those eyes, we would see the things that are not right. We would see the things that you, God, want to change. And God, I pray that you would compel us to dream big dreams. God, I'm convinced that part of our problem is that we live this life of desiring comfort. And God, I pray that you would disturb us, that you would make us uncomfortable. God, I pray that your spirit would begin to wrap us up and compel us to do the things that you've prepared in advance for us to do. God, we pray simply that you would give us kazone, a dream or a vision. God, we pray that you would help us to take the next steps. God, we pray that you would help us to be strong when we face resistance. And God, most of all, I pray that you would give us uncommon clarity because we know that by beyond the shadow of a doubt that this is what you've called us to do. Give us a divine purpose. If that's something that you want in your life, a kazone, a design purpose, would you just do me a quick favor and just raise your hand so I can pray for you? God, you've seen our hands and you know our hearts. And God, I just simply ask that you would give us a vision that comes from you, that as you create this vision in our life, I pray that we would just take the next step, whatever that is. As we continue to pray, I just want to ask you one more question. You know, everybody ends up somewhere in eternity. Because God did not send his son Jesus to die on a cross and to come back to life. And he did that for the forgiveness of your sins. Not so that you could buy a new boat or not so that you could be comfortable. But so that you, he could use you to change the world because you are compelled by his spirit. And if you've never said yes to Jesus, today would be a great day to do that. Because that's where a calling starts. Is when you simply say, whatever it is that you want from my life, I realize that that I have sin and I realize that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for that forgiveness and I say yes to you yes to your will yes to your way God give us your kazone your vision, your dream I pray that we would live out your passions in your righteous and holy name we pray